Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I head to the Liang Yi Museum in Hollywood Road. This is a private museum set up around five years ago using the extensive collections of businessman Peter Fung, who has, over decades, collected Chinese furniture, scholarly items, mirror sets, screens, and also items that women over the centuries would have used to adorn themselves. In the exhibition, Crowning Glory, the beauty of ladies' ornaments from Asia and Europe, items from Peter Fung and other collectors, including the Chinese textiles of Chris Hall and the Kingfisher feather ornate items of Peter Chu, tell the story of how high-ranking and educated women were confined by Confucian moors in both China and Japan, but still were able to make their mark on society. The second half of the exhibition takes the visitor into the 20th century. It also shows the gradual liberation of women and how they go from wearing long robes and confining clothes to the modern chi-pao. I joined museum curator Stephanie Fong. Our museum is also very unique in the sense of the visitor's experience. So as you can see, all of our exhibits from the museum's permanent collection are mostly out on open display. So our visitors can actually touch all the hardwood furniture pieces or even sit on them and pose for photos, etc. So this current exhibition is crowning glory. So different from what we had before, for our previous exhibitions, it's always about gentlemen focused on the scholarly objects from a Chinese gentleman's studio or we focused on literati paintings by scholar officials who also happen to be male but for this time we want some change to the narrative of our exhibitions and we decided to focus on ladies and so we have this idea to create space of a traditional Chinese woman's private chamber and also focus on some objects from our Japanese acquisition which includes some ladies ornaments because this year is also our museum's year of Japan so this show will have Japanese ladies ornaments and also a series of woodblock prints by a Japanese Meiji period woodblock printer which you'll see upstairs. Yeah so you've got a whole variety you've got also as you say I've just been uh, flicking through your lovely catalogue and it's got so kimonos yes, and yes. Uh, also as you say the the items that uh, a lady would use for adornment in in her chamber. So this is part the museum's collection and then also you've got collectors contributing. Yes, so this show includes around 250 objects, about 190 or 200 pieces from the museum's permanent collection, and then we have, I think, 38 pieces from Chris Hall's textile collection, and around 20 pieces from Peter Chu's Chinese hair ornaments collection, and also six of the kimonos from also a local collector who also happens to be a kimono teacher. Oh, fascinating. Do you enjoy your job? <laughs> yes, a lot. <laughs> um, before we show our visitors all the objects, we'll first introduce them to uh, these prints. So these prints are actually reproductions. They are 12 Beauties of Leisure originally, and they were used in the uh, Deep Willow Reading Hall to decorate the space by Emperor Yongzhen. So these are actually ladies of an educated background. As you can see um, behind the ladies, they're well versed in appreciating 
learning antiques or they are ready to appreciate calligraphy. So these are the ladies that this show will focus half on because they're the traditional ladies from China. And as you can see for these ladies, they're also wearing very traditional costumes, textile, and also these hair ornaments, which later on visitors will be able to see them in real life instead of in paintings. Yeah, they're beautiful paintings. So this is a beauty at leisure, distant thoughts among antiquities by this anonymous painter, but from the Qing dynasty, and it was provided by so by the Palace Museum in Beijing. Yes. Oh, yes. lovely. Yes, yes. So these would have been ladies at court. Yes, noble woman, educated woman, but still they are confined in their own living space because for both China and Japan in the imperial period, they are very deeply rooted in Confucian beliefs. So uh, ladies usually are just living in their own private space in the house, while the men would be manning all the external affairs and they would be the ones going out and stuff, while the ladies would be staying indoors. So this exhibition, we also have full of these recreations that we want to feature some of the more outstanding Chinese ladies in history. So the first one here is inspired by Wu Jiangxian, who's a lady from the Sui dynasty in China, which was around the 6th century, 7th century. So Wu Jiangxian was actually a concubine of the second emperor of the Sui dynasty. And how she became a concubine was actually because of the way she drew her eyebrows, which then attracted the emperor to recruit her as a concubine. So on this table setting here, we have this pair of powder boxes. So powder boxes actually was invented as early as the hand dynasty when ladies started putting on makeup. And at the very beginning, they were made of jade and, and some sort of precious materials. But this pair from the 19th century, you can see it is decorated with jade and it's also uh, created with hardwood. So it's actually a combination of technique from the ancient period of jade carving to the very sophisticated wood carving woodwork of the Ming and Qing dynasty. And early makeup, what would they have used for powder? The powder, lead-based powder. Yeah, yeah that was uh, in Europe as well. Yeah, yeah and also in Japan. Mm. But the type of pigment that Wu Jiangxian used to paint her eyebrows was actually from Persia. Interesting. Yes. So these are some big mirror scents from China. All three of them are from the 18th century. So these mirror scents were actually invented as early as... So they're called mirror sets? Mirror scents. So a mirror could actually be ah, placed right here. Yeah. So at the very beginning, it was only the very noble people, the imperial court or the men using these mirror scents. Um, it was only until the Song Dynasty in the 10th century that it became more common for commoners and ladies to also use mirror scents. So these are one of the types of mirror scents that you will see. So these are actually imitating the big screen panels like those. All right. Yes. Yeah, so you've got dragons. Yes. Um, and beautifully carved, really beautifully carved. Yes. And uh, that would take ages, I presume. So would, would yes. a woodcarver work on that for a number of weeks, months? Years, probably. Yes, yeah, no, it is lovely. In terms of glass mirrors, would they have come in quite early or? No, it was the Qing dynasty. Yeah. So before that, they were using bronze mirrors. Yeah. Just going back to the start of the museum, I mean, did you have sort of some big collectors who then 
contributed their collections. I mean, you've got a lovely array. It's only the museum founder, Mr. Peter Fong's collection, that started the whole museum. So classical Chinese furniture from the Ming and Qing dynasties to historical silver pieces from Europe and Japan, and then European fantasies, and also our latest acquisition of Japanese objects. Are you all right? Yes. I mean, and the other thing is, we've got a lovely, um, as a modern woman, you know, living in this area, whilst obviously there's these women, as you're describing, who are very accomplished from Chinese history, the, the fact that they were confined somewhat by Confucianist tradition, how does that make you reflect as a curator looking back? Well, I think it's a very deep-rooted tradition that women were also, well, they, they didn't have the power to overthrow these old traditions, not until maybe the May 4th movement. So it's also interesting to look at all these women who are so intelligent, but they're living in their own private space. But they were also able to create something very outstanding, like Guan Daoxing right here. This area is inspired by her, and she's a great painter from the Yuan Dynasty. And so happens that she also married a very famous calligrapher and painter at that time, Zhao Mengfu. So right there we have two recreations of reproductions of the works by uh, both Guan Daoxing and her husband. So she also became a painter? Yes, yes, she did. <laughs> so this painting is actually by um, her husband and this painting by herself. And if you look at all these seals on the painting, it's actually in the collection of Emperor Qianlong. So she was a very, very prominent lady painter in the history of China. Now, it's funny, uh, my level of knowledge of Chinese emperors is very limited, but Tianlong always rings bell. He was, I mean, he was a superb sort of sponsor, I think, of the arts. Yes, yes, and, uh, well, obviously he leaves a lot of trays on artworks, too, if you look at the seals that he um, imprinted on paintings. And tell me about the robe here. Well, the robe here is also from Chris Hall's collection of textile, and even though it's not from the same period as Guan Daoxing, which was the Yuan Dynasty, you can see bamboo on this robe, which coincides with the theme and subjects that Guan Daoxing is very famous for. So she created a lot of paintings of bamboo, which is also a symbol and virtue of gentlemen, which um, symbolizes humbleness and if it doesn't bend when it uh, faces severe circumstances. So she lived in the Yuan dynasty? Yes, Yuan dynasty. So, so Emperor Qianlong is what, what dynasty? The Qing dynasty. Yeah, so he's putting his stamp on later? Yes, yes. Oh, I see. Yes. So he had her artwork? Yes, yes. He's a big collector of right. art. So we're just coming into a whole area here at the Liangyi Museum where it's a sort of opening out, a superb actually modern display area here in Hollywood Road. And we've just walked past these lovely writing desks. We've got two wardrobes um, and a great big open area and a beautiful painted cupboard at the back, which I'll ask you about in a moment. And in front of us, yes, we've got a, a beautiful, is that a night bed or a day bed? It is actually a night bed. It's a canopy bed. So uh, if you count the posters, it's actually a six-poster canopy bed. And in the tradition of Chinese furniture, usually the ones of four, four posts, they were used by the literati or the scholars, men. And the ones of six posters, they were used by ladies. And very often they were included in her dowry when she was wedded. So uh, this is a very good example of a six-poster canopy bed. And usually draperies or textiles would also be wrapped around the canopy bed to give the user privacy. 
So there are some interesting stories about canopy beds. Um, for example, when a couple are on the bed, the lady would usually be inside and the uh, gentleman outside. So when the lady needs to get out of the bed, she must first wake the husband up and tell him that she has to leave the bed. And this also reflects the social hierarchy of the man and the woman because the women in the past were subordinates to the gentleman. So there's the Book of Rites and Ceremonial written in perhaps the third century. Um, it says that a lady should obey the father before marriage, um, obey the husband after marriage, and obey the son after the death of the husband. So it also reflects how woman was always a subordinate to men, as opposed to us modern women nowadays. Don't tell me a little bit more about the bed. So it's made of hardwood. Was there a specific area of China for this beautiful wood carving? So this is actually one of the two types of hardwood that we have a lot in our collection. This type of yellow colored wood is called Honghuali. So it was from the Hainan island of China. These are very expensive hardwood that only the imperial court members or the very wealthy scholar officials were able to afford. So the other type of hardwood is this type of darker colored wood called Zitan. And Zitan's from uh, originally from India. So it's also a type of very expensive hardwood and very, very dense hardwood. And that's called Zitan? Zitan, yes. Okay. Well, that's much darker, isn't it? Yes. It's almost like a, a sort of, it's got an ebony feel about it. Yes. Yes. Now the cupboard at the back, is that part of the current exhibition? Yes, this set of cabinets is actually the king of cabinets in it our really collection. Is. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so it's the crowning glory. <laughs> <laughs> so they are also made of Honghuali from the 17th century. So this type of cabinets are called compound cabinets. So they're made of four separate units. So um, this set of compound cabinets are more unique in the sense that they are decorated with these marble panels painted with the scenes from Romance of the Three Kingdoms. So usually these compound cabinets were used to store winter blankets or clothes and even for officials to keep their officials' uniforms because they are very big, big rooms. So the capacity inside is enough for the official uniforms to be stored and to avoid creating extra creases on the uniform. Yes, and tell me about the artwork outside. So they are paintings on marble panels and they are painted with scenes from the Romans of Three Kingdoms, so it's a novel. Gosh, I think once you had this in your house, you wouldn't want to move it, would you? But it, it, <laughs> yes. With marble and wood, it, <laughs> and it's huge. You yes. would really need a ladder to actually reach the top cabinet, so yes. usually the things that they don't use very often were stored upstairs. Yes. Just your annual robes. Yes. <laughs> This is a day bed, <laughs> so obviously they are small in size and they were used by both ladies and gentlemen to receive their guests or have a drink or two with guests on these kind of day beds or even play a game or two of chess. The panel that we see here, is it, would that have been used for modesty clothing or is it purely for art? Well, for these kind of screen panels, they were used as room dividers and sometimes they were also used as pure decoration. So, for example, the one that you see outside, it's double-sided, so it would have been mostly used as a room divider. But for some of them, they are only carved on one side, then they might have been placed right against the wall as a decoration. So for this one, as you can, might be able to see, 
on the top panel, it has different uh, variety of the show character, which symbolizes longevity. So it might have been commissioned as a birthday gift too. Again, loads of work on it. It seems to be all sorts of. I mean, are these are these stories or are they yes, stories, um, folklores, and uh, stories of deities? Huge amount of work. Goodness me. Would they have carved that as an entire panel or put pieces together? For this one, for example, they are actually put together, so you can see a difference in the color of the wood. This screen panel is from the 18th century. This gallery here is actually contributed mostly by another collector, Peter Ju. So he's also a local collector, and his collection has a huge amount of kingfisher inlay of hair ornaments. So you can see on this side of the um, display cases, and also this uh, beautiful phoenix crown, which is also part of his own collection. So this phoenix crown is type of formal hair ornament worn by a noble woman. So it's decorated with a pair of dragons and nine pheasants, if you can see mm. right here. So um, the symbol of two dragons and nine pheasants would symbolize that it would have been owned by a princess or a imperial concubine. And what's it made of? Kingfisher feather, and then it's silver and gold wire. Kingfisher feather? Yes. So it's actually a technique that Ming and Qing dynasty ladies adored. It's actually used a vast amount of kingfisher. They plucked the feather out from the chest and they inlay the feather onto these metal. But in 1933, the last kingfisher inlay factory in China closed because it was not in favor of the of the women at that time because by the 1930s a lot of women were already wearing um, western attire and they slowly gave up their traditional ornaments like these ones so the demand also decreased how old would this be this was from the Qing dynasty so around the 18th 19th century yes a lot of work's gone into that that's part of the peter chu collection so he actually collects all items with kingfisher yes yes um, a lot of hair ornaments yeah, extraordinary. So this has got a lot of figurines at the top, and is that ivory heads there? Yes, yes. So do you know from Peter where he managed to find some of these items? Did he tell you? Um, he found a lot of his items from China, just from auction houses all yeah. over China. So these are all kingfisher, so using kingfisher feathers from the chest, so all obviously a very bright blue. And uh, these are sort of hairpins for the back of there. Is that for your, you know, if you were to put it up? Yes, they are both decorative and also practical because it holds up the very complex hairstyles of the traditional ladies. And what are these ones? Are they actual bands? Yes, these are the forehead ornaments. So um, these would be another variation of those forehead ornaments. So there are two types of forehead ornaments that we see here. So these are all hair adornments from China using, I didn't know about that, using kingfisher feather, never come across that. Yeah, that's <laughs> very interesting education for me. But they don't use kingfisher anymore. No, no. So the kingfisher can go and fish. 
they can go on to live too. <laughs> the last gallery of this floor would be this um, Mo Shou Ying inspired gallery here. Um, different from the other galleries, it is a qi pao now instead of long ropes. So it also symbolizes that by the 1920s, the women were wearing a traditional garment, qi pao, instead of the more traditional long ropes. So Mo Shou Ying is actually the wife of Chen Ji Tang, which is the chairman of the Guangdong province during the uh, Republican China. And the set of furniture that we see here was also sourced from a family branch of Chen Ji Tang from Guangdong. So can you tell me just a little bit more about her? So she was wife of a very prominent man in history and she was also on board of director of a charity which was also founded by Chen Ji Tang, the Hall of Benevolence in Guangdong. And then she was also a director of an orphanage, um, a branch out of the Hall of Benevolence. So, so she was contributing a lot to the society in terms of doing charitable work. So upstairs we have Japanese ornaments. So the reason why we put together both um, Chinese and Japanese women to um, display the more traditional ideal um, feminine beauty is because Japanese women, like the Chinese women, were also living in Confucian society. So the Japanese ladies too were subordinates to men and they had very strict rules regarding their language and makeup and dressing. So this is a wall of Japanese vanities, brushes, and makeup, cosmetics, tools. And these are part of uh, Liangyi Museum, yes. so yes. one of your collections. So this part of Peter Fong's collection? Yes. When do they date back to? These are from the Edo period until the Taisho period. So it actually spans across a long time. So in terms of... Can you give me that in terms of centuries? Edo period to Taisho period, say 17 to the 20th century. And he's kept them so well. I mean, there's some lovely uh, silver boxes here. And what would the hair be that's used for the brushes? Well, for the Japanese ladies, actually different from the Chinese ladies, well, makeup was also introduced from China to Japan at around the Tang Dynasty, say the 7th century. But afterwards, the um, Japanese, they stopped sending emissaries to China and they developed their very own makeup culture in contrast to Chinese ladies. So you can see from these prints that the Japanese ladies, they have a white face, a very red or black lips, and also they tend to pluck their eyebrows. So these tools would be used to brush the white powders on their faces, to put on black around the, the, the teeth, and also the red on the lipstick. Interesting that they use black. Yes, yes. So black, white, and red were the three very essential elements of their makeup. And this is during that entire period? Yes, yes. I think it's really quite fascinating how makeup, I mean, through, through the centuries anyway, but just how also the, the complete difference, you know, the yes. fact that for me, I mean, much, much later, but black would be associated with Gothic, you know, in, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in more modern yeah. times. But that was used as a, you know, would have been you know, beauty in, in Japan. It was a custom that's um, regarded as a very traditional um, beauty custom and it was actually banned in the Meiji period by the um, 1703. Um,
So on this tatami platform, we have this um, traveling sets of a Japanese lady. So what we have here is a set of three combs. You can see the the teeth of these combs are varies from um, very dense to very loose. So what a lady would use with this set of combs would be to remove dust and dandruff to create a very smooth and long black hair because for the Japanese ladies, the black hair is very important for them. And also you see all these containers here, they would be used to store the um, black pigments to dye the teeth black. So this is the Japanese section here at the Liangyi Museum. Now crowning glory, this goes on till next February, isn't it? Yes, 27th of February. Right, so plenty of time to come here, but also the wonderful furniture that you'll see and the, the Chinese robes, but uh, this is all different areas of adornment and accessories that uh, women in both Japan and China would have used. In this area, we have more of the Japanese artifacts. We have hair ornaments and also some kimonos. So on this side, we have kimonos for spring and summer, and on this side, kimonos for um, autumn to winter. And we also categorize all the hair ornaments according to seasons, because for the Japanese craftsmen, they are very good at using the seasonal vocabularies to um, de um, decorate their pieces. Ah, can you give me a couple of examples? For example, this case would be the winter case, and of course we see snowflakes on the hair ornaments. And what are they made of? Um, the base would be made of wood mostly, and the decorations are made of all sorts of um, lacquering and inlay of semi-precious materials like this one, which are um, inlaid with mother pearl. Mm, so these are all different combs that, uh, so you know, the fact that you had them seasonal, so any kind of rather established lady in Japan would definitely have to have a comb in her hair that marked the season. Yes. So this is like fashion, really, isn't it? Yes, yes. Especially um, the trendsetters in Japan would be um, the geisha. So um, usually they have a lot of hairpins in their hair. And the more that they have, it means that they are more established and more well-known. You'd have to be patient in the morning, or did they try and sleep with it? Well, um, they would be, have to be very, very patient. <laughs> <laughs> Over here, we have three display cases, and they are the transition towards the uh, Western Sylvan Vanities section. So we have a pouch that's made of very Japanese style. And this one, it is modeled after a Japanese inroll, which um, the Japanese would use them to carry herbs or small items. But for this one, you can see a mirror right in, inside. So it is actually a Western vanity case instead of a Japanese inroll. And what's that made of? Um, it's made of ivory. So this is by the early 20th century. You've got European carvers, the craftsmen, manufacturers who are now using Japanese style to create yes. more European items. Yes, so by the um, 20th centuries, in 1920s, a lot of big jewelers like Cartier, um, they were creating a lot of vanities with Chinese and Japanese elements. Before we get to the vanities section, we will also look at a few um, traveling sets of cosmetics from ladies in the 19th, 20th century. So this is one example. So this is a traveling set of manicure and bottles. And then over here on this side, we have yet another big set of traveling um, makeup case. Wow. I mean, you really did need 
uh, for these items, they're, they're quite large, aren't they, in terms yes. of you needed a bit of a chest to carry them? Yes. So this set of um, travelling set is made by Gustave Keller, who was from France originally, and he set up his uh, firm called Keller Firm, and they supplied all these silverware to um, imperial royal families in Spain and Greece and Monaco, etc. So this is, uh, he was based in France? Yes. 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 Oh, wow. That's lovely stuff. So I mean, but silver, it must be quite heavy. Oh, it's very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and the earlier glass ones as well were quite interesting, you know, just the, the different uh, bottles. Here's another. So silver is really becomes the dominant yes. for, for boxes and pops of glass bottles. Yes, and also you can see a um, difference between the Chinese ladies and the um, Western ladies. While the Chinese ladies might uh, use a lot of hardwood furniture pieces and uh, makeup tools, the Western ladies would be using a lot of silver objects. So those hair tongs there? Yes, you're right. So, oh, how would they have been used? They, do they heat them up? Yes, so you see there's a rim of ivory right here as the insulator, so the handle will remain cool while the um, this part would be heated up. Interesting. So you've got early sort of straightening tools there? Yes, uh, curling irons. Oh right, okay, yes. So how did they, do you know how they heated them up? Um, from the fireplace maybe? Mm -hmm. <laughs> My thanks to Stephanie Fong, the curator at the Liang Yi Museum in Hollywood Road. The exhibition Crowning Glory, the beauty of ladies' ornaments from Asia and Europe is on show until February the 27th. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>